Today, we are back and better than ever, and we have the second part of Atlas Shrug. Just how do you launch a brand new comic company, a third comic company to rival Marvel and DC Comics with such huge names as Neil Adams, as Wally Wood, as Steve Ditko, the creator of Spider-Man, Howard Shaken, Dick Giordano, so many other amazing talents, and you fail to connect with the audience. Well, there's a reason that Atlas Comics no longer exists, but it was had... It was a bright, shining moment. And kids like me loved having a third option. And today I share with you just how and why Atlas failed to be. Also, another edition of Rob's Recommended Reading. Rob recommends we're going to have some fun on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey, everybody. This is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another episode episode of Observations. Yes, we are back. We had a few technical difficulties, got them wrapped up as fast as we possibly could, and here we are back on the interwebs with you, back in the podcast verse, and I couldn't be more thrilled. This podcast was uh, started from the pandemic, my loneliness. I needed to talk to somebody. Remember, we we, we, we couldn't even mingle with, with people. My, 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 my kids' friends would bring their cars over and back up, and they'd each open up the back hatch of their cars and sit and talk. Do you remember it was only just, you know, roughly two years ago. It was such a weird time. Uh, didn't see a lot of friends. My friends from LA couldn't see him, couldn't access him. Everybody, everybody was in lockdown. And at that point in time, I just said, I just need to talk comics. I just need to share my love of comics. And my son said, I can get you that blue Yeti dad. I can set you up. And he did. And Chase Liefeld helped me get this podcast off the ground. And here we are episode 200 and something, something, and you guys are still with me. And I'm so, so very, uh, just never been more grateful to have you guys listening, to have you guys as an audience. I am so thrilled to be among you. We celebrate comic books on this show, comic books and all that they have spawned. Comic books, comic book movies, comic book shows, comic book cartoons, comic book toys, comic book video games. I am trying to walk you through my own history of comics when I fell in love with them in 1974 at the age of seven years old and there was no looking back. These just um, enchanted me and I've shared with you guys that in times of tremendous stress and trouble, uh, when my dad was in a coma for nine months, comic books comforted me. When I had to wait in the waiting room, comics comforted me. When there was stuff in my life that bummed me out, I turned myself uh, I turned, I didn't turn myself into a comic book. I turned to a comic book and it entertained me. It distracted me when, um, I went home for, uh, Christmas vacation in 1979 and I got a terrible sickness that put me in bed the entirety of Christmas vacation, almost all the way through New Year's day. I was comforted by comics. That's the memories I have. That's the stuff that I was consuming. And let me tell you something, 1979 was the most kick-ass year. So I had the the Burn X-Men saga. I had great issues of Avengers, Fantastic Four. It was a great time to be, um, you know, if you're going to suffer with a virus, uh, and, and, and I lost, I lost 16 pounds. It was crazy. I think I had a, I think I had a growth spurt at the same time, or maybe it was the growth spurt that made me ill. I, I it just, we, we, we got out for Christmas break. Next thing I knew, I woke up from a nap. After we got home, I felt terrible, and I was sick for about 10 days and on the mend. Um, had to had to uh, enjoy Christmas from a distance, but again, good comic books at my side, and I got some, I got some cool toys um, to boot. But yeah, I was around when comics weren't cool, 
and I loved it. And and now when I see my sons, and and in the in in the in in their high school, they're they're beyond high school, but when they were in high school, all of their friends on the basketball team or the football team. And they're sporting their Venom shirts, their Deadpool shirts, their Captain America shirts, their Thor shirts, their Iron Man shirts, Avengers. It's just wild to see how much comic books has taken over. And so we talk comics on this podcast. And today we're going to talk um, about the, the the remaining days of a of a publisher that I introduced you to last episode called Atlas Comics, which was a very exciting publisher for me as a kid. It, it, it provided a lot of possibilities, but we have started here. In this comics uh, podcast space on Rob's Observations, I have started a Rob's Recommend. And, and, and real quick, what I want to share with you, if this is your first Rob's Observations, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I need to let you know that I have been making comics for 37 years. Writing them, producing them, penciling them, inking them, sometimes, yes, even printing them. As I pointed out in pre- previous episodes, I went to the printer uh, when Youngblood Bloodsport and a book called Youngblood Genesis was being printed, I I, I ran a print shop uh, for my dad. Uh, we I worked for the church behind the church. They had their own print shop. I printed the uh, announcements, the uh, the the cards that you got when you when you greeted, I, I, the, the the bulletins that you received, uh, any any sort of special calendars, anything that we did. I was the printer. I learned about printing and, and, and blending the colors. This is old school printing, not the computerized stuff that we have now. So eventually, uh, I was able to speak great printing speak when my when my work was being printed. And I would see it being printed a little too dark or a little too um, a little too light. I would be able to call the publishers, Marvel or DC, and say, "Hey, um, could you have them, you know, pay more attention to the printing?" Because as I always point out, again this weekend in New York Comic Con, I was put. Uh, one guy had a New Mutants 87 and a New Mutants... Uh, he had two co- copies of New Mutants 87, and as we've covered before, there are bright orange editions of that, and there are bright red editions of that. They both went to the market the same month. They are the same comic. They are they are both first editions. Some are pure orange, and some are as red as Deadpool's costume. What that happens is the printer back in the day took his eye off the ball, went got a sandwich, whatever, and how many... Issues went through on that high press, which out without blending the levels, there was not enough water, too much red, not enough. You know, it, it's magenta, it's cyan, and it mixed at a higher ratio. So you got red, red, New Mutants '87 first appearance of Cable, and orange. And, and to this day, no one can tell me was it supposed to be orange or was it supposed to be red. But there are equal parts, and I was like, oh my gosh, you have both. So again, my printing background informed me, I'd say, hey man, can you have them watch the blend on these and watch the levels? Some of this is printing too too dark. And as we trans, um, we, we transformed the publishing industry when we started Image Comics to nicer, shinier paper, well, guess what? That ink absorbed into the tooth of the paper differently. The shinier the paper, the less tooth. The old newsprint stuff, the stuff that I grew up loving, absorbed differently. It made um, ink lines thicker, and, and maybe sharper. My work definitely benefited from it. I recognized when I was doing New Mutants and X-Force that my lines would tighten and be uh, a little sharper and, and actually improved on New Mutants and X-Force that entire period. And it was part of the, uh, not only the shrinking down of the line work, but then the, um, the, the, the line work was, was, was thickened during the process of the printing. The inking was actually, I think, got stronger and then when we went to shinier paper, 
I, I had already become so advanced over those two years on newsprint that I understood that the shiny paper would not help me as much. And what the shiny paper would give you is a more you know, definitive representation of what I was putting down because it would absorb less. The ink that was put on the shiny paper would rest on top and not seep into the the grain of of the of the newsprint as much. Again, the shinier the paper, the tighter the weave of 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 the of the pattern and the less absorption. Aren't you glad you turned on Rob observations to get a printing lesson today? Okay, so there you go. But New Mutants eighty seven is an example of when someone walks away or gets distracted and the levels change. That's not intentional, okay? That is that is absolutely a printer error, but sometimes they're cool. Printer errors are cool. Maybe we can do an entire episode on printer errors. But anyway, Rob's recommendation is gonna come at you hard and fast today. And remember that you're getting this from a person who grew up loving comics from seven years old to uh, a person who grew up to write and draw and publish. I have broken records. I have best-selling titles. I have topped the charts. I am so fortunate because this business is a business I love deeply. Um, and, and, and after my family, it is what I love uh, so, so very much in regards to just my passion. My passion for comic books is insane. It, it goes God, family, comic books. It's, it's not even close, okay? And sometimes my kids will tell you, are we sure that, that comics aren't above us? And, 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 you know, I gotta work on that. But today, we have a Rob's Recommend feature. I started it last week. Some of you guys have already gotten them. I saw them. You got Dominic Fortune in, in Marvel premiere number 56. And you guys checked it out and got Howard Chaikin and, and, and Terry Austin's brilliant one shot, which was a great 1939 uh, World War II Marvel adventure with an Indiana Jones type. Uh, it, it, I, I'm so glad you dug it. Well, today it's a twofer. You're getting two. There's two issues of this. Man Wolf. Manwolf. No, I wasn't even a big fan of Manwolf. If if most of you, I'm, I'm not sure if most of you know who Manwolf is. He is Colonel John Jameson. Yes, son of J. Jonah Jameson, who runs that terrible, you know, Daily Bugle, who's always out to get Peter Parker. But his son was a uh, a, a respected noble astronaut who, of course, went up in an, in, in, in a in a spaceship. And was uh, was was transformed into a lupine form and became Manwolf. And he had always been a, a a foil for Spider-Man in previous issues. And he had had some backup features in Marvel magazines. And he had been featured primarily again, as I said, a Spider-Man foil. But great great comics where Spider-Man battled Manwolf. Uh, I always thought it was interesting that that Marvel had Werewolf by Night, and then they had Manwolf. And Manwolf, I thought, was a cool term. It's like another version of Werewolf, but. J. Jonah Jameson's man-wolf form was always a white wolf. He is, from top to bottom, a white werewolf. It's cool. He looks great. Well, the thing that stood up stood out about Marvel Premiere magazine, again, we're going back to Marvel Premiere. I warned you that a lot of this stuff is going to come from this. Marvel Premiere number 45 and 46 feature man-wolf in a fantasy adventure. A fantasy adventure, yes, on Fantasy World's Riding Dragons. How did this happen? Well, the culmination of a storyline that had been running through some of Marvel's magazines, their magazine line, but they give you a quick recap at the beginning. He sees a portal on the moon, and he and, and J. Jonah Jameson's man-wolf, who looks exactly like the man-wolf that we see in, in Spider-Man, goes through a portal, comes out on the other side, and they believe him to be the star god. These 
kick-ass warriors, one, a woman with a hook hand, not a man, a woman with a hook hand, a, a, a mighty kind of uh, bulky warrior with a sword, a red-haired uh, lady with a sword. So, so the, the bulky guy, his name's Bark, B-A-R-Q, and the, the red Sonia, red-haired woman with a sword, her name is Sashel. And then the woman with the hook hand, uh, trying to locate her name, but bottom line, there are all these warriors on another planet and they refer to him as star god. And he's like, I'm not your star god. Again, he, he literally goes through a portal on the moon and the next thing you see, he is in a temple on top of these steps where all these warriors are, it's like they've assaulted a temple and they go, um, the star god, you know, praise the star god, the savior has arrived. Why am I even telling you about this is because it's written by David Anthony Kraft, a real talented artist, I mean, a real talented writer. But George Perez, yes, George Perez of the Avengers, yes, George Perez of the Teen Titans, George Perez of Justice League, George Perez of Avengers versus Justice League. That George Perez drew these two issues. This is a time when he is doing Fantastic Four and Avengers and all sorts of Marvel 2-in-1. He is a workhorse for Marvel Comics. He is one of my favorite artists, period, end of story, full stop. But this work that he is doing... Uh, on, on Marvel Premiere is outstanding. I mean, I could not love it more. It is uh, absolutely just spectacular. And and this two-parter, so so again, he's with these warriors out of like a out of like a fantasy yarn, and they're referring to him as the Star God in the cover. The cover on issue 45 has him standing on like a planetary surface with asteroids above him and all these other warriors on. Uh, dragons behind him, and War God is, and 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 Man Wolf is, is standing in the most dramatic pose. His his one arm is out, the the the, the other arm is is got the sword raised behind him. He's in like this cool like uh, chainmail armor with a belt across. He's got gauntlets. He's got buccaneer boots. It says sword and sorcery beyond the stars. Man Wolf is back savagely fighting the other war. The cover to issue forty six is George Perez inked by Terry Austin and, and, and man wolf is fighting off all these other warriors with his sword. And the, um, one of the, uh, crew member of, of his crew is, is, is gotten his, is, is being held by our villain, uh, sword to her neck. And it says the saga of the star God all new. Okay. This is a kick-ass fantasy yarn because they believe he is the fulfillment of prophecy and they are not shy about telling him and they give him a sacred sword and there's uh, seven of these adventurers, six of these adventurers total. Manwolf makes it seven. And they immediately, he immediately emerges and uh, they're amazed by him in this chainmail uh, armored tunic and his wristbands and his gauntlets and his buccaneer boots. And they're like, hurry, we must fly and we'll mount these dragons. And and he's just, he has no idea where he is. You know, as as, you know, Manwolf John Jameson, son of J. Jonah Jameson, is um can communicate like just through his thoughts, but when he goes through the portal, his thoughts he he can speak and he tells them, I'm not your God. And they're like, Well, you, you kind of fit the ticket for us, and uh we believe you're the fulfillment of prophecy, so you're gonna help us. That's when he gets on these dragons with them and flies to attack this fortress alongside of them of this evil wizard. And this is some of the greatest. George Perez layouts, gestures, art. Um, they are attacked in the, the sky by these skeleton-faced uh, warriors, and they are the 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 uh, 
They are Turk, the, 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 the evil wizard is named Turk, T-Y-R-A-K-E, and they are the cavalry of the damned, and they're riding like skeleton horses with, with skeletons, and so they have this battle in, the, in midair. Manwolf and his pack of warriors are on dragons in midair battling against this army of the damned, cavalry of the damned on their, like, uh, skeleton horses. And, and, and then there's this awesome double-page spread where they're battling across the sky, and George does it as only he can. Tons of detail, uh, great gestures, the dragons battling the skeleton horses, firing arrows, swinging swords. I mean, as a kid, this is published in 1978. I am absolutely blown away. Their decision to turn Manwolf, a white werewolf, into a warrior with swords and bows, um, maybe what was, was semi-inspiring to me. Maybe, you think? I think so. And uh, all of these other warriors that he is um, battling with, um, a, a character, characters named Carrion, and characters named Duna, and, and Garth. Um, all the, these are all these different warrior names, and, the, and they're battling in the skies for several pages. Manwolf um, races over to, to help them out in his, in his dragon. I mean, just balls-to-the-walls action, balls-to-the-walls action that made Marvel the top when they were a kid. Well, one of them is felled from their dragon, and, and, they, and, and, and two of them topple to the bottom of a lake while in the air the rest of Manwolf's group is subdued because the skeleton warriors riding the skeleton horses pull out like laser guns and pin them out. But, but Manwolf and, his, and, uh, and, and, uh, and the big warrior named uh, Gorjun... Uh, fall into this lake and they come out of the lake and they see the fortress in the sky and they talk about what they're going to do and this ends with a badass splash page the end of this first issue he says hear me Turk in the name of my comrades Sashel and Bark, I swear vengeance. From this moment on, Manwolf is out for your stinking blood. And it says next issue the final fatal conclusion of the Manwolf saga Star God! Okay? As if that wasn't exciting enough, we go to issue 46. And there is Manwolf walking through the forest. Uh, and and, and uh, Gorjun calls him, we're getting close, Fangsnout. So instead of Star God, he's now calling him Fangsnout. But this is a badass shot of them. Uh, again, George Perez, brilliant art. Manwolf in his, in his armor and his sword is walking towards the fortress. We see the fortress is hovering in the sky. The palace of the Arisen Turk. A fortress floating above them on an inverted mountain over the glaring blue ski, blue sea. So, so now they have to scheme how to get up there. Well, they 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 get a raft. They figure out Gorjun and Manwolf get a raft, and they 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 get on the water underneath the flying fortress on the, what what they call it an inverted mountain, but it's like an asteroid. And uh, Manwolf puts his hilt of his sword on the end of this uh, pole and ties a rope to it and throws it up as hard as he can and impales the rock, thus giving them the rope that they will need to climb up. And so there's this entire sequence where they're scaling. I mean, it's so exciting throwing this uh, in this, this, this kind of uh, this sword spear that goes up into the base of the mountain and they climb up together and Gorjun is carrying, is, 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 uh, is, is put his arms around man. And Gorjun is a big, thick Conan type. And he is, thicker than Conan, um, stouter, and he puts his arms around Manwolf when they climb up to the top of the asteroid, at which point uh, Gorjun has his battle staff, uh, and, 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 and it blasts, and he takes out a couple of guards. They fight their way into the palace, and uh, his, his, his fellow, fellow um, 
Uh, comrades are being tortured by Turk. And then Manwolf breaks in and battles Turk and battles all his men in the prison because all his friends are being held in the fortress. And then they break into the uh, main palace. And that is where uh, the fiance of John Jameson has somehow emerged. She went through the portal too. And he says, Christine. And he says, yes, Turk says, yes, Jameson, as he holds the sword to her neck. Yes, Jameson, I abducted your fiancé as a precaution so those sniveling wolf, wolf worshippers get to you before I did. And so now it's personal. Now it's personal. And the f- funny thing is there's three henchmen, and George modeled these henchmen on um, Larry, Moe, and Curly from the Three Stooges, like a dangerous version of them in, in fantasy gear. It's really cool. So anyway, we're halfway through another big double-page spread as Manwolf um, tells everyone to back off. And do as the star god commands, because now his girlfriend, his fiance, is her life's at stake. And uh, and 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 I just love this. I love it. it's magic, it's swords, it's sorcery. And then Manwolf um, battles Turk's army, uh, guns, uh, swords, battles through them to to get uh, to the place where he is going to blow the the, the joint up. Which of course I'm going to tell you right now. Of course he does. It's exciting. He blows the place up grabs his girl, the rest of them escape uh, the, the palace, and in the end, Christine is teleported home, and she's waiting and waiting and desperate, and then John Manwolf comes through, but he's not Manwolf anymore. He is uh, transformed back into John Jameson, and uh, he says, uh, I used the God Force. It was enough to get through the portal because Turk closed the portal behind us. And he goes, but it was all for you, darling. I did it all for you. And he is now transformed back into John Jameson, reunited with Christine, who is being held hostage by the star God. It's a crazy two issues in another dimension where where one of Marvel's kick-ass Spider-Man villains, always kind of a tortured character, becomes a sword and sorcery hero. Imagine a badass wolf with a sword, a bow, gauntlets armor and leading a pack of other barbaric forces men and female alike against a wizard in the sky you have got to check out marvel premiere rob recommends marvel premiere 45 46 they should actually be quite affordable to pick up you will enjoy them the most uh howard shaken george perez i'm off to a great start in recommending you kick-ass comics the action in these two comics is like a year's worth of action in a marvel comic now okay i mean it is this is the age where these dudes were flexing hard they were flexing super hard in regards to how they were uh you know um how they were portraying uh, the, the the action they they were inspired by Jack Kirby and John Buscema and they were just uh, letting it all hang out and this stuff is just nothing short of amazing and and I, I highly recommend Marvel Premiere issues forty five and forty six Man Wolf a, a, a kick ass sword and sorcery yarn with a Spider Man villain turned into a fantasy hero it's 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 incredible I love it I've always loved it they're always nearby they're on my spinner rack they may be behind issues of Spider Man or X-Men, but they are always there and ready to be accessible. Now, moving on from Rob's recommends, we move to the topic at hand, Atlas Comics. Last year, last week, 
Last week's episode, I shared with you Atlas Comics was a third publisher that I had ever encountered beyond Marvel and DC. And I got to be honest, I liked them more than DC. They had Iron Wolf. They had The Destroyer. They had Scorpion. I shared with you how the owner of Atlas was the former owner of Marvel Comics. And because he was unhappy with how he believed the company that bought Marvel was treating his son who was supposed to have an employment contract and apparently it was Stan who walked him out and said, you know, we don't really need you anymore. A, a business called Cadence Industry had bought Marvel Comics. And uh, our, our, our good buddy, the, the owner of Marvel Comics, was none too happy with how it all shook down. And 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 he, uh, he decided that he would basically, if you've seen that famous, I love it, it's one of my favorite, uh, uh, episodes of of of, of uh, seasons actually of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where Peter David buys a spite store. He he he's, he's so unhappy with the guy who runs the uh, the coffee place. He says, "I'm going to open a spite store just to take business away from him." This is they, they, they nicknamed Atlas a a vengeance label. Vengeance Incorporated is how they. Uh, referred to it in 1974, but this is indeed, in fact, a spite store, a spite spite comic book label. As Martin Goodman, pissed off, decided to create a rival to the company that he just sold. And he did it by recruiting some of the biggest names of the time, Neil Adams, on my Hall of Fame. Honestly, most people's greatest of all time illustrator, okay? Superman Muhammad Ali, definitive Batman, definitive Green Lantern, definitive Superman, definitive X-Men. The guy is a god of comics. God God bless you, Neil. Rest in peace. He was a key figure that Martin Goodman recruited because by getting Neil, you got Neil's entire continuity studios, which included the Rich Bucklers, the Dick Giordanos, um, and everybody in between, the Mike Nassers, uh, Pat Broderick, who was doing Planet of the Vampires, which was based on the Omega Men, which they couldn't get the rights to, but they decided to move forward and, call, and, and basically utilize the exact... Uh, the exact same premise, but called Planet of the Vampires. And, and they, and, and, and they uh, got young talent like Howard Shaken. And how did they do this? They doubled their page rates. They doubled their page rates. Even someone like Al Milgram, who was a mainstay at Marvel Comics, who was inking Jim Starlin on Captain Marvel. He was drawing Guardians of the Galaxy. You would know him later on from doing Kitty Pride and Wolverine. He did West Coast Avengers. Uh, Al Milgram was kind of a constant, especially during the Jim Shooter era, but this is right prior when Roy Thomas was the boss. Al Milgram even said when Roy Thomas, who was the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics at the time, said, why don't you show us some loyalty? Al Milgram goes, I'm getting double the page rate. There were no royalties. Nobody was making royalties. This isn't like the Deadpool cable scenario that I have been fortunate to have where I get royalties for, for my entire life on these characters. This is work made for hire. I brought this up last time. Jack Kirby would famously tell people, why are you drawing three to four pages a day? He says, I have to provide my family. I have to. I have to get four page rates a day. Page rates were everything they made or break you, especially young artists trying to make it in the city. Howard Chaikin talked in the last episode about his comic, which The Scorpion, which Dominic Fortune looks exactly like. Last week was a unique kind of matching up of the recommended reading was actually an evolution of of a character that he started at Atlas called The Scorpion. But when they prematurely killed all the the comics after, you know, just a few, barely 16 months, and, and, the, and the book's not completely connecting with audiences, Howard decided he would take what he started at Atlas and just reboot it and call the character Dominic Fortune. But if you put them side by side, they in, in fact look exactly the same. They are identical. And it's funny. And I, I, as a kid, I'm like, I, I feel like I, I brought this at Atlas. 
But whatever happened to Atlas when it imploded, it imploded. But we're going to continue to look at some of the reasons why it imploded, the road to the implosion. But it was a brilliant plan. It, it, it sounded familiar in regards to grabbing big talent and having big talent show up and impress. And again, Neil Adams on so many covers, embellishing, finishes. Uh, you had Steve Ditko, the creator of Spider-Man and, and Doctor Strange, is la launching a book called Destructor. He is also inked by a tremendous talent in the comic book industry, Wally Wood, who redefined um, Daredevil early on in Daredevil's career, gave him the red costume, gave him the billy club, gave him the visual cue of the uh, radar sense. I have an entire episode. I think it's comic book feuds. We did a feud series. We'll return to feuds er, soon enough on this on this show. But the, the feuds episode features Wally Wood versus Stanley and how they had a tremendous falling out. And then Wally went and created a series called uh, the Thunder Agents and another kind of rival to, to Marvel. I mean, th these guys, they didn't just stop and, and, and retire. They went on and, and created rival properties. Wally Wood is an esteemed, glorified, uh, huge name that maybe you didn't hear of because he passed away so young. And, and yet at this time in his prime, he teamed with Steve Ditko to give you the Destructor. Okay, cool name, red and blue costume. Stood out on the stands, Iron Jaw, the barbarian in the future with a metallic jaw, very, very uh, uh, just pronounced visual, drawn, you know, the covers alone were drawn by Neil Adams and, and would grab your eyes. That's how I, I, Iron Jaw, number two, Iron Jaw, what a weirdo name, but not in 1974, it just kind of blended in with everything else. I had to have it. I bought it. I loved it. I bought Destructor. I loved it. I bought Scorpion. I loved it. I love these books. I thought, wow, this is like another Marvel Comics. They even copied Marvel's trade dress. If you look at the Atlas Comics, the way they position their corner box, the band across the top, always made to make you think that you were getting a sort of Marvel Comics product. And yet it didn't fly. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the consistency was terrible and Martin Goodman was so interested. Martin Goodman, the man who now owned and started Atlas and kind of put together what many believe to be not the strongest um, creative team, publishing kind of staff. The, uh, the problem is shortly after launching all these cool comics, and, they, and they, stood, they, they stood out because they had more mature themes, they were sexier, they were more violent, they were more bloody. He thought, hey, I'm not catching Marvel sales in the way that I wanted to. And so he came in and he meddled. And he told his... Uh, his, his editor, Larry Lieber, who was Stan Lee's brother, yes, he thought, this would be great. I'll get Stan Lee's brother. I'll, I'll get a, 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 a sibling of Stan Lee, someone who was working with Stan over at Marvel on the comic strip, on the Spider-Man Daily strip, and incorporate him into his operation. So he could say, I have the brother of Stan Lee, and I'm letting him shine, and, and, and again, get some industry attention, because the industry insiders were excited about this. They thought this could work. This guy's finally paying the rates that these artists deserve. And the other key is he is giving back the original art. You got your original art. Believe it or not, DC and Marvel were not in the practice of doing that at the time, and it was a huge issue. Somebody like a Neil Adams, a big giant voice in the industry, was constantly beating on them. You need to start giving us our artwork back. I've covered in other podcasts, especially another uh, kind of the Secret Origin of the X-Men episode, I believe it's called. I, I chronicle you that what 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 inspired the artist to cross the street and 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 give Colossus and Storm and Nightcrawler to Marvel instead of DC was because Dave Cockrum, the artist, would not be given his art back. One single spread that he adored from a wedding issue of the Legion of Superheroes. Sometimes you never know what's going to set these guys off. And in this case, I mean, it inspired them to cross the street and start a rival. 
And so uh, these guys were getting their art back. They were supposedly, even though Howard Chaykin said that there were no royalties, they were, they were, there was talk of royalties, but the, the double page rates were the key. But Martin Goodwin told Larry Lieber, we need to marvelize our line. And that's when he said, I need a character that looks like the Hulk. We're going to call him the Brute. And he's going to be gray. And he's not going to be green. Or he's going to kind of be, you know, kind of slightly lavender. But uh, he, he wanted his, his titles to be toned down, the violence, the, the edginess. He, he wanted to be more, uh, more, more family-friendly because he wasn't, Martin wasn't making the return on the investment that he had hoped. So he believed that he could alter things by, quote-unquote, marvelizing the line. And like I said, what killed the line was that the art on the inside, the consistency didn't follow there was different fill-ins every issue. There was no creative team to fall in love with, like a Frank Miller on Daredevil, like a Walt Simonson on Thor, like a John Byrne on the X-Men, like a George Perez on the Avengers during the time, like a Jack Kirby on the Fantastic Four, Ditko extended run on Spider-Man. It was different fill-ins after different fill-ins, and it was increasingly and increasingly, uh, you know, inconsistent. And they didn't just have comics, they had magazines. They had, they had a fantasy magazine, they had a romance magazine. Atlas went all in. They wanted to be represented on every part of the spinner rack and the magazine stand. But, uh, you know, all these guys, Walt Simonson, Terry Austin, Neil Adams, Howard Chicken, there, there was just a giant, a massive uh, uh, section of, of talent that was, that was contributing and, and it just wasn't moving the needle. And the marvelization of the line only... Um, helped kind of uh, kind of trigger the frustration among the people who were working there. And, and th they thought, hey, I thought we were coming here to do edgy stuff. And now it's like, no, 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 clean it up. Make, make, make more family-style comics. And, and Martin Goodman is now dictating character creations. And you need to, you know, introduce this character that I want you to use called The Brute, okay? And so, uh, and the interior, you know, Howard Chaykin talks about how he and his buddies, you know, Mike Kaluta and Walt Simonson, Bernie Wrightson jammed together on the Scorpion. And the next thing you know, he wasn't on anymore. Martin Goodman kicked him off after a couple issues. And then the, the Scorpion is a shell of itself. It doesn't have its, its original, uh, uh, you know, creators behind it. And so now it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a shell of itself. And, and, the, and the artist, it was a rotating door and there was no consistency. And I even remember as kids going, I wish the books on the inside looked as good as they did on the outside. The early issues of Destructor with Ditko and Wallywood were strong, um, but, but I, f I felt like Iron Jaw kept bouncing around and there was no consistency, but, but I'm, gonna t I'm gonna tell you, the bottom line, the covers were important and the covers were great. Along the lines also, he tried to get Godzilla. And in fact, he uh, was able to convince Walt Simonson that his deal with Toho Company, that with Toho uh, Limited Productions, who produced the Godzilla movies over in Japan, that, that, that that deal was ready to go, and he, in fact, commissioned none other than Walt Simonson of Thor fame, of, uh, Thor fame of the alien, uh, brilliant alien adaption, adaptation, the movie adaptation. If you've never seen it, you, it will blow your mind. He had him do a Godzilla comic, and they have pages of this that if you Google online, you'll see um, some of the excerpts that I am sharing with you comes from a Atlas dedicated episode of Tomorrow's and uh, the author of, of, of a lot of the, the articles that you'll read in there and I've, that I've crossed 
cross-referenced with other different articles from Comics Journal and different sources is a, is a man named John Cook. So credit where credit is due. Um, some of the interviews and some of the quotes I've taken are from this um, tomorrow's uh, Atlas, dedicated Atlas episode that, that you know gave me a background on this company that I always grew up loving. Um, but uh, names, other names you, you, you may, uh, again, uh, recognize is, is guys like Joseph Rubenstein, who went on to become a great, terrific inker over at Marvel Comics. The, the aforementioned Dick Giordano, a fantastic penciler, inker, embellisher, finisher, who worked alongside Neil Adams, did some of his most fam- famous work alongside of him. Um, you know, the, 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 the company, Russ Heath, a huge talent. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you had you had so many. You had Mike Sikowski, Jack Sparling, John Severin, um, obviously Steve Ditko, a, a gentleman named Ernie Cologne, who, do, who went on to do a lot of work for Marvel in D.C., Battlestar Galactica, Amethyst for D.C. I mean, it they were bursting with talent. Pablos Marcos, okay? And eventually they flamed out because the inconsistency of the product, the the lack of, of, of creative teams that could follow, and the changing of the uh, the 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 content from a, a family friendly changing it from a more edgy, bloody to 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 a family friendly. Now I'm telling you again, guys like Rich Buckler uh, and and uh, David Anthony Kraft who wrote that Man-Wolf issue. So there's another connection. David Anthony Kraft was a creator over at Atlas. They had wanted to do a, uh, a a character that went on to become Demon Slayer in the pages of Marvel. And he looked exactly, exactly the same. And I, I believe he was called like Death Slayer. But if you look at them both side by side, they are in fact identical. Uh, and and <laughs> the... You know, some of these characters like Howard Chaykin carried Scorpion over to Marvel and called him Dominic Fortune. And again, uh, Demon Slayer, his roots were in a one shot that was that was published by Atlas. But they were like, well, screw that. I'm, you know, I'm leaving it. Frank Thorne, no less, a terrific artist. Frank Thorne would go on to do Red Sonia for Marvel. He was doing uh, Son of Dracula story for Atlas. They did not want for concepts for titles uh you know but again when 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 martin goodman the president is like i need a knockoff of the hulk make it the brute you know i need destructor to be more like spider-man and look you know the, the this the scorpion kind of got got muddled with and and Chaken was 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 removed from his own title that gets to gets to uh readers it, it, it gets it gets to uh Oh man, the Destructor is really good. You should check out the early issues of Destructor with Steve Ditko and Wallywood. But but when the creative teams are getting kicked off, and when the creative teams, when every issue is by someone else, again, there's a lack of consistency, and then the covers just aren't enough. But also during this period, as I mentioned in the first chance, this was a challenging time for all publishers. They were cutting back newsstands, were cutting back drastically on what they they would order. So of course, who are they going to cut first? They're going to cut the company that doesn't have any single media representation because even in 1974 you had a Spider-Man cartoon that was in reruns you had Superman and Batman shows and and in, in, in reruns or um cartoons you had merchandise you had lunch pails you had stuff that you could go to the drugstore i mean like right now you've got Marvel and DC are very well represented on your target aisle on your in your Walmart in your toy stores at your GameStop 
uh, it's the equivalent of what would be going on today. And 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 what are you going to cut? You're going to cut, you know, you're going to cut those, the, those books first, uh, you know, that that don't have outside support. They don't have a merchandising component that you think, you know, I'm going to sell less of these and I'm going to sell more of these. So you know what? I'm going to not be in the business of selling less of these titles that that people aren't buying. Quickly, the Atlas line was disappearing from my life as I would show up at seven and eight years old and buy these books. And Iron Jaw was spotty. The distribution was was spotty. Destructor, um, Scorpion. There's other, so many titles. There's the Phoenix. There's the Protector. There's Morlock 2001. There's the Midnight Men. There's the Hands of the Dragon, a, 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 a martial arts book, because to, to cash in on Shang Chi, there was the Grim Ghost, Son of Dracula. Marvel had, you know, the Tomb of Dracula. Atlas gave you the Son of Dracula. You had the Cougar. You had the Brute. So Demon Hunter becomes Devil Slayer. That's it. Demon Hunter by David Anthony Kraft and Rich Buckler. Literally, if you look up Demon Hunter and then you go to the Defenders or any other other books that happened to feature the Demon Slayer or Devil Slayer, he looks exactly like Demon Hunter. Like that and Scorpion, they're the strongest representations of like, what? Um, I mean, it's it just just completely and totally uh, shocking in, in regards to the content that was that was being, you know, put forth. Uh in that you're like, these characters migrated. They I, I used to enjoy them at Atlas and now they're at Marvel. So at least some of these characters got a second chance at life through, you know, a different uh a different option once Atlas closed. But all of those titles I'm 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 reading to you just stopped suddenly overnight. Martin Goodman pulled his support. Demon Hunter became Devil Slayer. I'm looking at it right now. I dig it. Uh look, you know. These creators wanted this to work. They wanted this. They didn't want to go back to, to, to you know, Marvel and DC. Roy Thomas himself talks of how he was recruited and took an offer to come over and leave Marvel. But he said, because you failed to come through on my initial ask, I was um, forced to sign my deal with Marvel Comics that I'd been putting off on. This is in a letter that he wrote them. And he says, uh, you know, I, I am going to be staying with Marvel because they met pretty much all my demands and and he basically says and and, I, and it's because of you atlas that that i i think they did this and and what i'm talking about walt simonson and his godzilla story well god's he went to go pick up those pages i recounted this in the first episode he went to go pick up his godzilla pages and they said that job doesn't exist and the secretary wouldn't let them pass the front door and said you know there's that job doesn't exist i've been told that you know like basically you don't know what you're talking about at which point Walt's like, look, whatever, like they don't they're not gonna give me my art back. Howard Chaikin talks of this too. That they kind of uh the artwork disappeared, but they have some shots of them. If you look them on uh, uh, Atlas, Walt Simonson, there's Rodan, there's Godzilla or his version of Godzilla. So they were that confident that they were gonna land these 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 licenses, but at the last time, at the last minute the licenses didn't come through for Omega Men, which they wanted to adapt from the Charlton Heston movie, and that that became Planet of the Vampires with some cool covers, penciled by Pat Broderick and again inked by the god of comics, Neil Adams. I mean, you want to talk about, you got an entire Godzilla story by, by, by Walt Simonson. He never received the art back and because they said, you know, it didn't exist, just flat out. And then, of course, what happened is the next time they came 
to visit Atlas Comics, it was closed. Uh, Howard Chaikin talks about how it was Kitty Corner on the opposite corner of Marvel Comics. There's one report that says Howard was recruiting outside the Marvel building saying, go, go over there to Atlas and check them out. They'll pay, th- they'll pay better page rates. So a whole lot was going down during this time in 1974 where comics were trying to find their footing. Marvel and DC were struggling. Sales on the newsstand were imploding. It would take until the direct market in the early 80s where we had comic book stores to save the comic book industry because in the newsstand business where it was all returnable, you had to basically, and and if you didn't know this, in this time period from the 60s to the early 70s, when you bought a comic, if you were a liquor store, if you were a 7-Eleven, a drugstore, and you bought 10 Supermans and only sold five of them, you could tear the covers off and send them back and get credit on the next ones. So the company isn't making money on 10 copies they're making money on five copies and they just keep rolling it over into another five copies of another book into another five copies of another book into another five copies of other book so the publishers are completely freaked out that at some point they're gonna these people are gonna order 10 copies sell none and sell 10 back and just say i'm kind of out of the business so the newsstand business was a tricky business to be in when it boomed it boomed and when it stalled it stalled and in 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 years years short shortly after this In 1978, the DC implosion started. um, I mean, the DC implosion was ugly. A bunch of books got canceled. A bunch of talent was out. And I have an entire podcast devoted to the DC implosion that you should check out. But the story of Atlas Comics, I'm going to tell you what it meant to me. It was exciting to see talent work outside of Marvel and DC for the first time when I was a kid. Because like I said, I knew Hulk. I knew Spider-Man. I knew Batman, Superman. The Super Friends was on. Lunch Pails. The Batman show was in reruns. The Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. That killer 60s cartoon was on every day. I watched it Monday through Friday. They had two episodes a day. I lived on that. So Spider-Man, Batman, Superman. In the mornings, they had the Superman cartoons from the late 60s. And then Aquaman and Aqualad. There was even Teen Titans featurettes. I was really exposed to so much of the DC Universe through cartoons, Marvel as well. Because they had early cartoon versions of uh, Cap and Thor that were kind of like they cut them out of the panels of the comics and made them move and kind of, it was this weird animation style. But then by 1978, they literally had a Fantastic Four cartoon. So while Atlas, um, after Atlas Craters, Wolverine gets a Saturday morning cartoons, Hulk gets a Saturday morning cartoon. I mean, uh, th- there are so many different uh, comic book characters, but it's always Marvel and always DC, always Marvel and DC. And Atlas was a valiant effort uh, Martin Goodman had a short fuse in regards to what he was willing to go all in on. He started meddling from the beginning. It turned the creators off. They left. Then they did patchwork fill-ins with less talented guys, more journeymen. And you as a fan were like, this isn't exciting. But then I pick up a Marvel book or I pick up a Mike Grell, Legion of Superheroes at the time, or a Jim Apero, uh, Brave and the Bold, really fantastic art pacing story. Um, you know, there's only so much the audience will put put up with because... When the titles fade and they start disappearing and the distribution gets spotty, then you get frustrated and you turn to something else. And I've been on both sides of that coin. And so I know firsthand, but I'm going to tell you the biggest influence from Atlas Comics was inspiring guys like me who said, wait, it can be done. There are other companies that you can seek out on the newsstand. This is before all of the different independent comics that would come in the mid-80s. Eclipse Comics, Kamiko, First Comics, Dark Horse. There's four. Pacific Comics, which featured, you know, Captain Victory and, and, and Mike Grell's Star Slayer. I mean, incredible work was being produced in the independent marketplace in the direct market, but, but it was first made possible to guys like me and, the, and that 
kind of light bulb in your head. You mean I could do a book and it's not Marvel and DC and I can make it look cool? And again, like I said, the look, the, the covers matter. We live in a, in a time right now where so much emphasis is put on the covers because people are really basically collecting covers. There, there's, a, there's a group of people in the comic books industry that, that, dis, that are discussing, like, are we in the trading card business now? We're just selling different sets of cards and there's, co- there's stories on the inside, but nobody cracks them because they're too busy getting the rare variant covers. It's an issue. Well, Atlas Comics showed me at a young age that there was something beyond Marvel and DC, and I think it always kind of drove me and probably others like me. That's why Image Comics was able to happen because guys like Eric Larson and Todd McFarlane, Mark Silvestri, Jim Lee, Will Sportaccio, Jim Valentino, we knew of Atlas Comics. Atlas Comics was brief. They did 65 issues maybe total, and then they were gone. And all that talent eventually returned to work elsewhere. Roy Thomas even said, like, you know, if I hadn't signed this new deal with Marvel and I had continued to talk to you, I probably would have gotten punished. There was a talk of, you know, some of these guys being scared to be punished uh, by Marvel and DC by, by working with Atlas. But at the end of the day, if you were a guy that managed to work there a year and you made double your page rate, well, I mean... You know, in six months, you made what you'd make a year drawn from Marvel and DC in 1974. So a lot of these guys were more than happy to take the risk. Atlas Comics has a great, uh, glorious history, great magazines, great, again, some of their initial launch titles are very exciting. If you are a fan of comic books and you want the distraction and you want the entertainment, you will check out Atlas Comics. Ultimately, again, trying to marvelize, water down the product, uh, fire your creative teams, um, whether it was to save money, as many people thought, because Martin Goodman was like, maybe paying these guys double rates isn't the best idea for me to be profitable. But the bottom line was the sales were challenging for everyone at the time. And for a newcomer, sometimes you just enter the market at a bad time. There are movies and television shows that I think, you know, had the windows of opportunity, the timing been different, I think it would have, they would have completely, you know, succeeded instead of failed. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to wrap it up. On my flight home from New York Comic Con this last weekend, which was great, by the way, we'll, we'll cover that in another show. On my way home from New York Comic Con, I had a menu to watch on the airplane, and I'm like, well, there's Top Gun Maverick. I, I've seen that 15 times. Why not see it at 16th? And I kind of was like, why, why don't you see something new? But I'm like, no, this works. And now being in October, not being in April, when I saw the world premiere of it, I can see very clearly it is the perfect summer escape movie. It's beautiful people flying big, expensive machines of war and daring do and an aerial combat that is beyond and these people piloting these giant constructs having the the cockpit films it was the perfect summer, summer escape again you got beach uh uh football the whole thing is is, is 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 takes place on north island san diego is beautiful in the summer it's never more beautiful than in the summer so this it, it and i believe when it came out in may it was kind of us finally putting the pandemic behind us and I think it spoke to a nation and a world that was ready to move on, ready to escape, and ready to have some simple, cool mission. We jumped into a movie with a bunch of young, I'm going to call them kids, they're youthful pilots who are all attempting to make the roster of an extremely dangerous mission. So big time U.S. patriotic American mission against a faceless em- enemy that we kind of go, is that China? Is that Russia? I mean, that's kind of what you're thinking. But you've got to clear this obstacle. You've got to fly this low valley, do this incredible, insane maneuver, hit this target, fly out, get home. The stakes are very clear from the very beginning, and we were all happy to take that ride with the beautiful people in the beautiful weather on North Island, the beach, the blue skies, the aerial combat above the Southern California deserts. 
the whole movie just worked in the summer of 2022 that I think it would have worked that I actually think it worked better than it would have in summer 2020 had there been no pandemic or summer 2021 had there been no pandemic but because we were coming out of a pandemic and we were looking for some big movie to rally around what better than beautiful men and women in service of the United States military because that's what it is you can dislike it you can like it but that's what it is flying these awesome amazing uh you know aerial machines that are going to pull off this super secret mission. And when Tom Cruise says, someone's not coming back from this in the first act, it ups the stakes. Who's not coming back from it? We are completely sold on this adventure, but more than anything, it was the perfect coming out of the pandemic movie. After two years of isolation, then vaccines, then boosters, then can we take off our masks? It was like, let's run to see the beautiful people save the world. I think worked best in 2022, it, certainly than it would have worked this Christmas. It was the vehicle that we all rode that made us feel better coming out of this miserable two-year existence. Sometimes timing is everything, and I believe Maverick had the timing on it. The, the product is great. It would have always been successful. I think it was more successful given the conditions of when it was released. The conditions were terrible for Atlas Comics. The idea was great. The talent was enormous. The follow-through was poor. The patience wasn't there, and eventually Atlas left. But these two episodes are meant to turn your attention to a comic company you may never heard of, have heard of, characters you may never ever consider in your life, and give it a check out, give it a look see, because I love comics, and every time I get a chance to get entertained by another comic, I take it. And that's this show is completely based on comics. I will tell you that a couple years ago, Paramount had announced that they had optioned these. This is about three years back, and they were threatening with doing some you know, project with them. Nothing has come to fruition yet, but hey, we may see Atlas Comics across the board in other, uh, you know, uh, formats, platforms before we know it. And now you know where it all started with these two issues of Atlas Comics. Atlas Shrugged. 1974 was kick-ass. Marvel and DC was, were doing some cool stuff, but Atlas took a big swing. Ultimately, it didn't succeed, but uh, not for lack of trying. There you go. That is Atlas Comics in two parts. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Thank you for tuning in each and every week, even when we have crazy hiccups, even when we're, you know, um, not showing up. My dedication to this show is endless. I love being here for you. We're going we're gonna to battle beyond the hiccups. We're going to continue to show up for you guys. If for some reason the show is not here or there is a wrong load, we will fix it. We will address it and turn it around because we are going to continue to be here for you guys because you guys have been here for me. I saw so many of you at New York Comic Con this past weekend and you just kept expressing how much you love the podcast. And again, I tell you why. And you're like, Liefeld, you turned me on to new comics and new stories and behind the scenes feuds and action that I never knew existed. And I am just, it is my pleasure to share this with you. I am so excited to share this with you and I will continue to share it with you. Thank you. You guys know, as always, I read your reviews at the end of each and every show. I read your reviews. I share them with you. And you guys have been crazy generous lately with all of these um, amazing reviews. And I'm going to share, uh, I'm going to share a couple with you today. And, and I'm, again, I am so just blessed by, by, by your enthusiasm today. This is, uh, a gentleman named Mr. Man 77. Do you know that he comes from Ireland? I am getting a review from Ireland, Mr. Man 77. He signs it Reese Hannigan, but his handle 
is Mr. Man. He says simply, Rob's podcast fills the creative soul. That's the headline. He gives us five stars. Thank you so much, Reese, Mr. Man. I'm trying to break into comics for years and listening to this podcast as I draw fires me up to keep going and push out some awesome work. The early episodes covering Hawk and Dove all the way to the Heroes Reborn show um, that with great will and determination, what a young man can do. Keep up this extreme podcast, Rob. Best Reese handing it. I mean, just simple to the point. I love it. Um, I, 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 I was like, as I draw fires, no, as I draw fires me up to keep going and push out some awesome work. That's all that matters. I am so glad if you are listening to this, and again, I am a veteran of the comic book, I mean, decades of work, thousands of pages, thousands of comics as a publisher, Extreme, Brigade, Bloodstrike, Bloodwolf, Glory, Prophet, Youngblood, Team Youngblood. Did I say Supreme? Did I say Evangeline? Did I say Battlestar Galactica, War Child, um, Bad Rock and Company, New Men? We put out comics I am so ridiculously proud of, but those are literally over the course of my career, thousands of pages, uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comic books that I, it has been my pleasure to bring to you. I thank you guys so, so very much. Um, I'm going to tell you that uh, I'm going to read another. I'm, 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 I'm going to go for two first because you guys are so good to me. This review comes from Jay Andy, and he is from the United States of America. So we had Ireland, and now we're doing the USA. It says, a blast to listen to Rob speak five stars a blast to listen to rob speak five stars i was born in 1989 and i grew up in the 90s and my first time dealing with comics was x-men with my older brothers as i got older i love to hear older generations speak about their time with comics that is why i love collecting thank you for sharing all your experiences with us rob dude i love it i love that we are sharing a connectivity i love that you grew up loving 90s comics 90s comics was my jam that, that was the 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 you know sweet spot of the career in regards to where everything kind of came together and clicked. Thank you so very much for this very uh, generous review, Jay Andy. Jay Andy uh, left this. You guys, you leave the reviews, I'll read them. That's what I do. I'll read them at the end of every show. Uh, I try and read each and every review I get. You guys are so kind. Thank you. And the reviews help elevate our platform, but your word of mouth is everything. And, and, and you guys have supported me and, and, and it is just staggering and I am so humbled, I am so grateful, I am so thankful for you. You guys know, you know I am all over social media. I am on Twitter, at Robert Leifold. Full long name, got a blue check, it's really me. I love to talk to you. I talk to you guys every day, back and forth. We exchange um, ideas, conversations, concepts. I love it. I am on Twitter, at Robert Leifold. Follow me there. At Instagram, I am just simply Rob Leifold. At Rob Leifold, that's it. At Rob Leifold on Instagram, love to hang with you, love to talk with you over there. I read your messages, your DMs, your comments. Thank you so very much for following me. I am on an app called Whatnot. Whatnot is a kick-ass collectible app that you should get as fast as you can. I am, my, my, my name there is Rob Liefeld. I do shows twice a week. Wednesdays and Saturdays are generally where you're gonna find us. On Whatnot, you can find great kicks, great shoes, great sports memorabilia, great clothing, apparel, toys, Funko Pops, comics. I am in the toys, Funko Pops, comic kind of category. We do comic shows, we do toy shows. I draw on Funko Pops, I, I do remarks on comics. I sell my sketch art. We, we, we have our exclusive Whatnot variants. We have a Spider-Man Whatnot variant. We have a Brigade Whatnot variant. We love sharing these with you. Please, you guys, join me. Join me. Follow me on Whatnot. There are a million different outlets. It is the new 
uh, collectible marketplace, live auctions, uh, the Buy It Now store, stuff that you can only get by following me on whatnot. I, in, during the live feed, I kind of just go full stream of consciousness. So many people have told me that it's like this podcast except heightened, okay? And uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to, you know, find my filter over there. So you can, you can follow me and, and, and watch me find my filter. Finally, I have a group on Facebook. It's called Rob Liefeld. An extreme group, Rob Liefeld, an extreme group. Um, there are a lot of groups, a lot of groups on Facebook, but Rob Liefeld, an extreme group, an extreme group is ready for you to receive you right now. The moderators of that are myself and a gentleman named Terry Sala, S A L A. Okay, we will be the ones to click you through. We, we will be the ones to approve your request. Okay, and 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 then you can jam with all sorts of like-minded fans. We 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 talk about. Anything that I've touched during the breadth of my career, beyond what I've created, beyond what I've contributed as a publisher, as a creator, the, the stuff that I've worked on that Stan and Jack created, uh, the, 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 the Avengers, uh, jo- Joe Simon, Jack Kirby's, you know, Captain America, uh, Snake Eyes, Larry Hama's Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe, that, 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 that Dead Game miniseries. I mean, it's a broad, really a, a broad net that we cast over there. I'd love to see you. I'd love to hear from you. You can interact. People share artwork. We have draw-offs. It's a super fun group. I invite you over on Facebook, Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. We are waiting for you to join myself or Terry. We'll click you through. That's how you know you found us and it's really us. You guys, it's the end of the episode. And at the end of the episode, you know that I wish you all the very best. And I hope that you are kicking back a couple people in line. We're like, Rob, I hope that you get to your recliner, get kick back, chill. You guys know, I just think that you need to relax. You need to take some time out, get on the recliner, eat a pizza slice, eat a burrito, eat, eat some fun food, hamburgers, Chinese food, ding-dongs, hostess pies, chips ahoy, you name it. I'm a Reese's peanut butter guy. Okay. I, I love Hershey's chocolate. My favorite candy bar outside of Reese's peanut butter. Have I revealed this before? Mr. Good bar. I did an entire podcast on food and comic books. You should listen to it. It was one of our biggest uh, uh, listen to episodes ever. Fast Food Comics, I believe is the name of the ap- uh, episode. I did it a few months ago. It was it was just time to blend it all together. You guys, watch some cool shows. Watch some movies. Read some comics. Read some graphic novels, some trade paperbacks. Escape, like I talked to you at the top of this. Sh- escape. Escape into the art. Escape into these other worlds because your soul needs to be fed and you you, you should be inspired as by, by, by all the art in the world. I'm coming back from New York Comic Con now and I'm so ridiculously inspired. I believe your spiritual being, your physical being, your mental being, and your emotional being need to be fed and I am hoping that it finds you. I am rooting for you at all times. I want you to do well. We are getting out of this pandemic. We are moving on. The world is crazy sometimes. That's why we need our escapes and I hope you find yours. Please visit me again. Please swing around the cul-de-sac. Find me. I'm going to be here and we most definitely, most assuredly, absolutely... We'll talk again real soon.